0: Hello, this is the third in a series of four podcasts, all about the Court of Protection. The first two podcasts covered the process and procedure for appointing a deputy, and the realities of day-to-day life for a deputy. As a reminder, a deputy is someone who makes decisions for people who cannot make those decisions for themselves. In this podcast, we look at the best interest decisions deputies are regularly required to make. These decisions can be both straightforward and challenging for a variety of reasons. My name is Anne Pearson and I am a lawyer in the Boys Turner Court of Protection team. Joining me today to discuss this is Ruth Mayer who leads our Court of Protection team. Ruth, hello, how are you? I'm fine Anne, how are you? Really good, thank you Ruth. So, what exactly is a best interest decision? Well,
1: uh, best interest decision is a key principle of the Mental Capacity Act 2005. And it's probably the most well known one. And basically, what it means is that any act done or decision made on behalf of somebody else must be made in their best interests. However, the starting point is to ask, can that person make their own decision? And if they can, they make it and you don't have to be involved in best best interest decision making.
0: So what do you need to consider when making a decision that you would say was in somebody's best interests? Well, some of the decisions can be really
1: straightforward, but um, often they're quite complex. They can cover anything from money to health and welfare issues, such as where somebody's due to live. Um, I'm a, de- a deputy for finances, so most of my decisions are financial ones, but they can cross over into personal welfare and they don't always fit into those neat categories. In addition, best interest isn't actually defined in the Act, but they do have a checklist. I think the reason why there's a checklist rather than a definition is there's just too many types of decisions and circumstances that um, need to be considered. Right. So a checklist for best interest decisions. What is that? Well, you need to consider all of the relevant factors. You just can't consider what you think is important to you. So, for instance, if you've got a person with dementia and they need to be vaccinated, but you need to make that decision for them, but you don't actually agree with vaccinations. You can't just make that decision on what you agree with. You've got to look at things such as their past wishes and feelings, maybe conversations they've had with their GP, uh, maybe any religious or moral values. Other things you need to take into account for relevant factors is to ensure that you avoid discrimination. You can't make a decision or any assumption based on somebody's age, appearance or behaviour. You also need to think, well, will they regain capacity in the future? And if they do, you need to wait. So I try and involve the person in the decision as much as possible, and I try and be as creative as I can. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I had a young man who needed to make a statutory will. Now, statutory will is a will approved by the Court of Protection. He had a large compensation award due to negligence at birth. And um, we were sitting down and he really couldn't understand how to divide the um, assets up. He couldn't understand divisions or large sums of money. Um, But I did know that he really uh, was very close to his mum and sister and we were having coffee and biscuits. So I had six biscuits laid out. And I said to him, if you had to share these biscuits out with your family and those biscuits represented money, how would you share them? And as quick as anything, he said, right, I'll give three biscuits to my mum, two to my sister and one to another family member. And that's how we divided his estate up under his will. And interestingly, the court came back to me later and asked me how I'd involved him in the decision making process. And I, I said the biscuit method and they were fine with that. Then I had another example where um, we were trying to recruit carers for another person with a learning disability. And what we did was we wanted to involve him in the process as much as possible um, and the interviews for, for the carers. So during each interview, we gave him a piece of paper with a line through the middle and a happy face at one end and a sad face at the other. And at the end of each interview, we just asked him to mark on that line where he thought, that person should be in terms of whether he wanted to, whether he liked them or whether he really didn't like them. And that was uh, really helpful, actually. And that's how we decided on who to appoint as a carer.
0: Ruth, they're really great examples. Are best interest decisions the same for all of your clients or can they vary from client to client?
1: Oh, well, they definitely vary and that's because clients are different and, you know, there's different types of decisions. Um, You know, I've got some real life examples at the moment, which um, I'm I'm happy to tell you about. So I've got an elderly client who's in a care home and uh, we need to pay his care home fees. And he's lived in his um, previous family home for many, many years. And we need to decide whether that home should now be sold to pay for care home fees or whether it should be rented out. You know, uh, will he return to it in the future? Does he have enough money to last him? So lots of decisions to make um, around that. I've got another case where I've got a young person who um, has had quite a difficult year of it with lockdown and his family have approached me with a view to putting a swimming pool in the back garden. Now, the idea of the swimming pool is to make sure that he's able to get out, have a lot of exercise, but also socialise with his family. Um, I've got to think carefully about the costs involved um, and how long the money would last if we we spent that money and how it would really benefit him, not just in terms of, um, you know, um, exercise, but also how he can socialise with others. And then as a third example, I've got a brain injured adult who was involved in a, a road traffic accident. And he has a really black and white way of thinking. There's absolutely no grey with him. And he was volunteering at a dog rescue centre and he really, really wanted to have a dog. Um, So we needed to help him with the decision. And we could only give him limited options because otherwise it would be just too much for him to cope with. So the questions were, did he want a male dog or a female dog, big or small Eventually, he opted for a male staffie and it's brought lots of joy to his life. And it's also assisted with his rehabilitation. So, the answer is yes, best interest decisions really do vary from client to client.
0: Right. So, what powers and responsibilities does a financial deputy such as you have when it comes to making a decision in the best interests of your client?
1: Well, once I'm appointed by the Court of Protection, I take over all the finances and they'll be in my name for the benefit of the person concerned. But I do have an obligation and I do involve the client as much as possible in any decisions, as well as close family members or a carer. But financial decisions can cross over into welfare decisions. So the example I've just given of the client who wanted the dog, I do have to consider all of the financial implications because even with a rescue dog, you're looking at uh, adoption fee, vaccinations, food and insurance. But I'm also looking at the mental health benefits that that's going to provide him.
0: Are there safeguards in place then when you're having to work out what a best interest actually is? Oh, definitely. Under
1: the Act, I can't make any unjustified assumptions based on a person's age, appearance or behaviour. This is to avoid any discrimination. Now, appearance will cover all sorts of things, such as a skin colour, the way a person dresses or, or a disability. And behaviour could be something unusual, such as laughing loudly or inappropriate. I can't judge someone's capacity on that. And of course, there's the exact opposite for somebody who's very shy. They might have difficulty expressing themselves. And the idea is I just need to bring them out of their shell and get them involved in the decision making process.
0: Okay, so exactly who makes the decision and should that person talk to others? Well, the decision makers, usually me as a deputy, but it could equally be
1: an attorney under a power of attorney. And with welfare issues, it could be a family member or a doctor. Under the Act, I do have a duty to consult with others as much as possible. So, as a deputy, I usually consult with the family of a young child regarding investments, or I might be consulting with adult children of an elderly client going into a nursing home. I've also got a duty to try and keep their affairs as private as possible, so I have to weigh up the need to discuss matters with family members with uh, privacy.
0: So, what advice would you give to the parents or family members of your clients Uh, with regard to involving them in making decisions in somebody's best interests,
1: Well, I do try and involve the parents in major decisions as much as possible, such as where money should be invested. But I also give them a choice. Some simply don't want to be involved in those major decisions and some do, but most do actually. So when it comes to um, investing money, for instance, I'll approach three financial advisors and I'll have what's called a beauty parade. So I'll bring them in uh, one by one and they have to prepare a report on what they would invest in, what the return would be and what be the fees. And myself and the family would sit there and listen to each presentation and ask as many questions as we we need to ask. And it will be a joint decision. But the beauty of this, of course, is there's no wrong decision as all three will be good and experienced in their field. But this just gives you an example of how parents would be involved in the uh, process.
0: But there must be times when there are disagreements. So how would you overcome these with family members, but then at the same time still maintain a relationship? For example, if they would like to spend money on something, you have to say no to. Well,
1: absolutely. And this sometimes happens. You you can't agree on everything. And I think it's all down to communication. So I'll sit down and I'll go through a list of pros and cons and I'll try and get the client involved in the decision making as much as possible. And sometimes I might even have a carer to assist that that person. Um, As an example, I've got a client who's had a a road traffic accident and he has um, a speech and language therapist who really helps him with communication and is able to support him in getting to a decision. Um, If I am consulting with other people, such as family members, then I do need to know exactly what their relationship is, how long they've known the person for, and I need to ensure there's no conflict of interests. But even then, we may still not be able to agree. So if I get to that stage, we might have a formal best interest meeting or we could go for mediation or ultimately I could go to the court protection and ask them to um, decide for us. But the problem with going to the court, of course, is that it takes quite a lot of time and it can be expensive. So this is a last resort. Sometimes the law makes the decision for me because um, I don't have the authority to make that decision within the debt ship order. So it might be, for instance, making a large gift, in which case what I have to do is I have to get all of the relevant information together for the court, and that would be things such as the size of the gift, who it's to, impact on finances and tax, and uh, the decision may be easier for the court to make for an older person due to the timeframes involved, and harder for a child, because it has the money that they have under, say, a compensation award has to last a lot longer, and may be needed later in life for care and therapy. So ultimately, uh, the decision makings with me, I have that responsibility. But ultimately, I do have the option to go to the court if I need to.
0: Right, well, given the potential issues, there must be times when um, a decision is particularly difficult. And I just wondered how you would cope with that or feel about those sorts of decisions. Sometimes it can be difficult.
1: You know, sometimes I do struggle, but I do have the Mental Capacity Act to guide me and um, help me work out what I feel is right for my client. Um, I've got an example here of a young lady that I act for. She's in her early 20s and she lives in a house that she purchased many years ago with a compensation award for um medical issues and in that house she lives with her mum, stepdad and five younger siblings but the problem is that this house no longer meets her needs and she really needs to develop independently but she can't afford two houses. So unfortunately the family need to move out so that we can sell this one. Um, We're going to have to look at local authority housing and try and get the family on the waiting list but it's really difficult. So what I've done is I've put the decision on everybody's radar and I've said we really need to try and get to a decision within, say, two years. And so for the moment, my client's seeing a a psychotherapist to help her reach a decision. And the case manager's looking at alternative housing for the family. But ultimately, this isn't an overnight decision or it's not really one that sits comfortably with me. Also, I really want to make sure that I maintain a good relationship with my client and that she maintains a good relationship with her family. And it's quite a thin line to sort of walk. Um, but the, and the way I approach this is that uh, this is the decision that needs to be made, but I may actually change the way I make this, the decision over the next two years. So best interest decisions can be really complex, but I've got the act to guide me. But I think what you ultimately need is a really good dose
0: of common sense, understanding and empathy. Ruth, thank you. That was really useful. I'm really looking forward to our next and final podcast in this series. So bye for now. Bye. And finally, if you would like more information, please go to boysturnerclaims.com and look for the link to Court of Protection.